We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders, past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. In this episode of the Now in the Future podcast, we'll be exploring the importance of nutrition for those who experience co-occurring health conditions or allergies. The role and importance of nutrition will look different across the lifespan, from those difficulties with establishing newborn feeding through to the impact of conditions in adulthood, such as diabetes or thyroid concerns, it's vital to ensure that any person with Down syndrome has their nutrition needs reviewed regularly. Today, we'll be chatting with Matt Hart, an accredited practicing dietitian and sports dietitian, and DSQ's community engagement officer, Gillian Gerke. Gillian, before you do the honour of introducing Matt, I wondered if you could share a little bit about the scope of your role here at DSQ and why this topic is so close to your heart. Sure. As Tanya mentioned, I'm the Community Engagement Officer here at Down Syndrome Queensland. I have personal experience with Down Syndrome. I've got a rare form of it called Mosaic Down Syndrome. So that affects only certain parts of the body as opposed to the whole body with Down Syndrome. And that differs in every person. Um, For my instance, it has affected my learning capabilities, my brain health, but more importantly for this segment, uh, gut issues. I've got very, very complex gut needs and uh, complexities around Down syndrome and nutrition. And I have stepped through exactly what we will be talking about today. Um, So that's just a little bit about me personally and my personal journey is very close to heart and I've had bad experiences but in the the last 14 months I've had real huge success by working with a nutritionist and so that's why it's a bit close to home. Great. Well, thank you, Gillian. I was wondering if you could introduce Matt for us. I'd like to officially introduce Matt to our listeners. As Tanya mentioned, Matt is an accredited dietitian who strives to empower individuals to take control of their own health through collectively developing tailored nutritional support. He has particular interest in bone health, gastrointestinal disturbances, men's health, disordered eating and sport. So Matt, could you please tell us a bit about yourself and what aspects of nutrition do you work in? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Gil. Basically, I guess, long story short, I developed a bit of an interest in the nutrition space, um, I guess, having a very extensive sporting background. Um, and lucky enough, my dad was a chef growing up. And I think that's where I soon learned the importance of nutrition, um, one related to sport, and that kind of exposed me to go and pursue study, um, which led me to finish in my undergrad in um health science and then later on down the track did a master in nutrition and dietetics and basically has directed me to where I am now 
And I think along this journey is where I've really developed a, a keen interest in one, disability health, um, but obviously two, people with Down syndrome. And I think it's purely from seeing not the lack of support available, that it it's a very much a reactive approach, like a lot of areas in nutrition that we can be better. Um, it's just trying to have the right services and support in place initially. So could you tell us a bit about your programs and how they could be suitable for someone who has Down syndrome? Yeah. So at the moment, primarily most of my work is one-on-one. There's a few community programs available that I guess have a different um, insight and approach to typical nutrition allied health support purely from the fact that they, they really target the habits and behaviours around food, if you like, um, as opposed to providing nutrition support and, or nutrition information even, and that's it. Um, because at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer that the food side of it, generally that's just the outcome. It, there's often more under the surface that potentially hasn't been unpacked um, or delved into, which at the end of the day, that's generally going to be the barrier as to why someone can't execute or improve their symptoms. Um, yeah. Yeah. and whatnot. I, I think yeah. I think that's the mi- missing piece to the puzzle a lot of the time. Sure is. Just listening to you then, Matt, um, yeah. I'm just wondering, like, when there are those other underlying causes that create those issues? Like, yeah. uh, I guess for a person with Down syndrome, these days we're becoming more and more aware of what some of those um, known co-associated conditions might be. But yeah. um, I wonder if, do you come across people who are still discovering that there are allergies or intolerances or even just other health conditions that could be causing those health presentations? Yeah. like, And, again, this is purely why I got in contact with you guys is I've had a few clients previously where it's not the parent's fault or no one's necessarily done anything wrong. It's just that other aspects haven't been considered. Mm. Um and like whether it's, I guess, a fussy eating approach or potentially gastrointestinal issues that the parents may initially thought it, that it was X, Y, and Z, but it's actually been something completely different. Um, mm. I think that's where it's really critical. Like, and it's, it's across the board nutrition that if you can get a thorough assessment done initially, then you can almost develop a bit of a roadmap and a plan as to what your priorities are now and down the track. Mm. Um, you you've hit the nail on the head there for something that we come across frequently not just in the nutrition space but um the term diagnostic overshadowing you're probably familiar with it where often we often hear from families who've gone repeatedly to their medical teams to say i'm concerned about this i want this checked out and and unfortunately, sometimes they're just told, oh, that's part of having a disability or part of, you know, Down syndrome. So I guess, yeah. is that something that you see as well? Or I'm wondering if you sometimes are the point of referral back to teams to say, have you considered X, Y, or Z, you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, and this is where, again, like I'm not dampening on anyone's parade or anything, but having a good support team around you that, I guess, look beyond the typical signs and symptoms is crucial because it's common that I'll send clients back to the doctor and they'll be like, what's going on here? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, mate, there's more to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes like it might, it won't come back on, I guess, me as an example, but sometimes the doctor may almost create a barrier against me initially because they don't 
see what I'm seeing essentially. Mm. Then it takes, I don't know, it could be a couple of months, for instance, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, and that's where you can get really good, I guess, buying because they value that you're not just typically addressing the or sugarcoating it almost. Mm. You mentioned earlier sometimes it's a family have been working with you for a while before they can get back to the medical team to explore other issues. But how yeah. does a person go about accessing nutrition supports? Like do they need a referral to see someone such as yourself? Or? Um, I guess there's a few different avenues regarding this. One could be you, a client, for instance, may receive a referral from the GP um, to go and consult with whether it's a dietitian or another form of allied health. Mm-hmm. Um, is that through like the chronic disease management? Chronic disease, mate. yeah, yeah. Um, which, uh, to be honest, only allows someone basically five visits per calendar year, which most of the time is is um, nowhere near enough to get through some of the complexities, particularly Down syndrome, mm-hmm. which can make it challenging. Um, sometimes, it, again, it depends how clients what support they have available. Some clients have NDIS support. Um, some clients are private pain depending on where they're at with chronic disease plans, NDIS, those sort of things. Um, but I'd say generally it starts from the doctor. Yeah. And it really it depends on the age of the client as well. What are the signs that you might say to a family, it's time to take your loved one along to the GP and, and have this further investigated? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, this is a tricky one initially because often, like, as you're well aware, with Down syndrome, like, it can take a long time to really identify what that underlying why or cause is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it was potentially down that disordered eating path, like, typical red flags would be things like are they potentially avoiding food that's more psychological related than, say, fussy eating related? And to separate that would be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um do they appear to potentially be resistance to food intake? Do they have a lack of an appetite? Um, are they restricting for X, Y, and Z reason? Mm. Um, is their oral intake significantly compromised? Um, and we're not aware of potentially the reasons behind that. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, there's various. And I think this is where from a nutrition point and the scope of nutrition that you really have to get to know your clients well to identify what that that underlying why is mm. and how is that dictating the outcome that or the symptoms that they're currently experiencing. And I think the added difficulty to that might be where you have a client who may not um, be able to easily communicate how they're feeling in terms of their health symptoms, you know, whether that's not having the language to describe mm. how they're feeling or um Perhaps they use alternate communication methods that maybe clinicians aren't familiar with using or doctors mm. for that matter. Um, is that something that you come across often? Um, yes and no. Like it's interesting that you actually say that because I've had a few other clients, um, particularly clients with motor neuron disease, that they, they one, they struggle to talk or they don't have the energy to talk, so they're, they've got different forms of, like, iPads and they're basically it's almost like eye recognition that they can still type short sentences and those type of things. Mm. Um, so I'd say those sort of devices are becoming more accessible or more common, um, mm. but it's not something that, to be honest, I've had a lot of experience mm. with. 
So in those situations, if a client is is unable to communicate easily how they're feeling, you know, um, what their food-related concerns might be, is it relying upon um, support workers and family members, whoever's present during that? Yeah, yep. Or even, like, again, it depends on the capacity of the client, whether they're able to write, draw. Um, I think it's trying to collectively utilise, like, the input of, those around you or Mm, other tools that you can utilize to try and again nail that outcome or that under um underlying why what they're experiencing because often it can be hard to try and identify that yeah of course what can you tell us about allergies and intolerances and how do these fit in with the previous mentioned health challenges like gastrointestinal conditions celiac disease um i irritable bowel syndrome, thyroid issues, diabetes, all those other comorbidities of Down syndrome, you know, that's complex. Um, can you give us some, give us something on, on that? Yeah, good question, Jill. <laughs> so I think, um, like, again, as you're all aware, that the allergies in time space is a massively evolving and growing space, particularly, mm-hmm. like, within nutrition itself. Um. Like, and again, I think each client, you've really got to start with an open book. Um, when you look at looking at allergies and intolerances, sometimes clients can have a combination of both or potentially they may have intolerances and may not have allergies as such and it's trying to separate that. But I think typically with allergies, it's more of a an immune response, like your immune system is essentially rejecting a type of chemical in a food. Um, and often those symptoms, the onset of them are quite rapid, whereas the intolerance side of it, that most of the time the food has to be broken down or exposed to the gastrointestinal tract um, at some parts throughout to initiate that response, and that response sometimes can take hours for the onset. You talked about earlier um, seeing a range of clients with Down syndrome. I'm just wondering what's the most common kind of issue that brings people to see you? I'd say it probably starts with weight loss, mm. like starts with weight loss. Yep. And that's when through your assessment all of a sudden there's half a dozen other things that have been going on that have never been touched or discussed for that fact. Mm. Um, and I think that's where, like from my side of things, I've had clients that they come in for weight loss, they may end up leaving with a diagnosed gastrointestinal issue, um, which mum or dad didn't even know about. They just thought their bowel movements were normal for X, Y, and Z reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I'm more the bad guy than the good guy. Um, <laughs> but then I think at the same time, the as much as it is around the nutrition component, like previously I've spent a lot of time developing like life skills with clients because I'd say most of the people I've seen with Down syndrome are, to be honest, probably under 30. Um, and generally it's like delayed onset learning um, around various tasks. So as much as it is the clinical side of it, it's a practical application as well, whether it be cooking, supermarket visits, learning how to read menus, even simply just going to order a meal at a cafe. And is that the kind of thing that your support can assist people with? Yeah, yep, that's stuff that I generally do quite a lot um, purely because, like, the the outcome of that is so powerful, the fact Mm -hmm. that, they've got the confidence to go and order their own meal, go and buy their own groceries and then being able to cook that or prepare that themselves, that to me is a big win. Mm. Um, And along the way it's just trying to squeeze the education side of it in between. 
Yeah, that is very proactive yeah, as opposed to a reactive basis, isn't it? It's what we were discussing before. So um, yeah, true capacity it's like, building. It's <laughs> like anything in nutrition, I think that as I was saying before, the the um, the food side of it, like to me, that that's almost the easy part. Mm. It's really trying to identify why can't people adapt certain eating habits or behaviours, whether it's motivation, stress, psychological issues, time poor, don't have the capacity, don't have carers available, whatever. Um, at the end of the day, that appears, I'd say, most of the time to be the challenging aspect. Yeah, of course. Anxiety comes up an awful lot and isn't talked about much. Food can impact anxiety more um, for certain intolerances and things like that and um, complexities to make it even more pronounced um, where it was there like some some foods which you deem healthy to some people actually have a sort of a negative impact on a proactive response? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. The I guess the first answer to that is I always encourage people to really try and think about what does healthy look like? Mm. Um, because like we're just it's talking about. It's for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at, say, gastrointestinal issues, well, things like avocado, broccoli, cauliflower, like typical health vegetables that would be perceived healthy um, can cause significant issues for some people. So it, the, it's, I think from my side of things, it's really crucial to identify what that health encompasses for each individual and that'll be so different for a lot of people mm. um in terms of the anxiety and even the depression side side of things too jill that that's a growing space and we're now understanding that the types of foods whether it's the the glycemic index whether it's how there's hormonal responses in the brain there's mm. we now know that there's certain foods that can exacerbate some of those um and that's where typically like always think of people that may may drink a lot of soft drink or even caffeine's another common one that you, you almost become really reliant on some of those processed sugars or the caffeine um, due to certain hormonal responses. And I think the hard part then is to try and create those habits or behaviours that have evolved around that certain food um, because it's then challenging if you remove it, what's the outcome associated with it? So mm. that's where the, compl the complex side of things can come into play um, yeah. for sure. And transitioning out of certain habits would obviously need a whole lot of planning and um, support so that you're not replacing it with something. 100%. So. And I always think like as individuals and humans, like we all establish habits and behaviours around food over 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years. Mm. Um, so to then go and try and break those habits and then reestablish new habits and behaviours can be quite challenging and that does take time. Mm. Um, yep. which is completely normal. And we see that in the paediatric space a lot, Matt, and I don't know if you work much in that space, but um, when little ones have been peg-fed or nasogastric fed for a significant period of time and then transitioning onto solids and, um, you know, I guess the length of time that that takes, yeah, for, for our families and, and the trickiness that that can create for daily meal times. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And I think even like... Some kids that may be breastfed for a long period of time that don't even mm -hmm. have Down syndrome um, 
to then go and transition to solid food can be quite challenging. Yeah. Um, or even if there's certain pressure around food as a young child, um, yeah. how that may impact food-related behaviours later on in life. Mm. Um, mm. That's where, again, it's really trying to get a broad understanding of what the underlying issues really are yeah, and um, what their end goal is. Yeah, we see that another common time, even if feeding hasn't been particularly problematic, that I hear from families when they're stressed around food is when their little one transitions to school um, and suddenly they're being pressured to eat in very short breaks um, and, Mm. you know, related to a range of issues, potentially hypotonia and any other swallowing issues, like suddenly having to not be sitting in their really usual supportive seating and... um, having to eat very quickly in a very sensorily stimulating environment, often very loud, noisy playgrounds. Is that a, is, is that anything that you ever hear from families about? Yeah, 100%. So I think, it, like, again, along with all the, the clinical side of nutrition is that practical application. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, for instance, like a client just springs to mind that last week um, I had a young guy that lives in a care house, for instance, and to try and get some consistency throughout that house from the carers can be quite challenging because one day he may be cooked X, Y, and Z or the following day they're offering a certain meal, um, but they may not be well aware that he's got underlying allergies and intolerances and health concerns that need to be addressing. Um, so very quite, I guess, similar scenario in the fact that that external environment can sometimes be challenging to control. Mm. Um, and I think that's just trying to ensure that you've got a good team around the client to ensure that you are successful and you're moving forward mm. um, with the support that we offer. Yeah, thank you. Well, look, we, we've fired a whole lot of questions at you. I'm just wondering, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like our listeners to know about the world of nutrition as it relates to people with Down syndrome? Um. Look, to be honest, I think at the end of the day and something that I typically see with a lot of clients and as I mentioned before that when you look at nutrition, I, I think it, it's overlooked and like I understand that a lot, most people in fact would have like a, a sound understanding of nutrition but I think at the end of the day like where the the challenging times come into play is trying to understand one, what's actually going to be the best approach from a food point of view to try and achieve those certain outcomes or manage certain medical conditions. Um, Because I think, again, like we've got abundance of access to nutrition information nowadays. It's just trying to understand where to or what differs healthy for a lot of people and how how do we need to shape that food approach to manage certain conditions um and and then how do you present that in a way that people with you know varying levels of learning difficulties can understand and and use on a daily basis yeah yeah and i think that's where like even within this space sometimes it's more the hands-on learning where you see the biggest outcomes um it may one-on-one not. support kind of scenario yeah 100 percent. and it's not about trying to change the world overnight it's about those gradual steps long term um mm-hmm. and at the end of the day we like i said we want to try and almost empower and inspire clients to to look after their health themselves 
Um, like I don't want to be holding everyone's hand for the next 50 years. No, and um, potentially don't have the funding to do that. So it truly is a capacity, yeah, thing, isn't it? Um, 100%. Yeah, which maybe think, periodic check-ins with someone like yourself. Yeah, I think that's where the practical side of nutrition is um, really valued and underestimated at the end of the day. Mm. Um, mm. And like, like for instance, I had, a, I had a group this morning, a community group, and we basically spent um, a session really trying to understand what are those setbacks that the clients are facing because they've tried to address their health previously but they haven't been successful. So a lot of it was around that behaviour change as opposed to, I guess, specific food, nutrition-related information. Mm, mm. Well, look, this has been really, really wonderful. Um, thank you so much for your time today. And I guess That's right. Thanks if, for having you, me. if we just give a little plug to um, your private practice, which is Heart Nutrition, um, and we will put those details up on our website in the show notes for this episode. But um, thank you so much for your time, Matt. We really, really appreciate it. Not a problem. This episode concludes Season 2 of the Now in the Future podcast by Down Syndrome Queensland. We would like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has been involved in this production, particularly our producer Justin Rulon from Bridge Media. We look forward to releasing Season 3 on the 21st of April 2022, where we will discuss topics such as co-occurring diagnoses, education and inclusion, and many more subjects relating to the Down syndrome community. In the meantime, if you would like to hear any episodes from Season 1 and 2, or more information on any subject relating to Down syndrome, visit our website www.downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. You have been listening to the Now in the Future podcast by Down Syndrome Queensland. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.au slash QRD. Down syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.